0: Hello, you're listening to Sarah Archer and episode 51 of the Speaking Club podcast. When it comes to making money from blue sky thinking, there are two success factors. One is speed of implementation, and the other is whether or not the idea is crap. I started this podcast for two reasons. Because I want to help people recognise the power of stories and humour in speaking And because I believe it's your message that counts, not the number of ums and ahs you use. There are some organisations that want to create robot speakers. They want you to sacrifice your personality in order to speak perfectly. But I want to let you know that you can be yourself and a sensational speaker. So if you want to be a speaker that connects and engages authentically through stories, a speaker that gives value as well as a great performance, then welcome home. Hello! I was fortunate enough to meet this week's guest at a panel we were both on talking about comedy in business. And when I found out all about him and heard what he had to say, I knew he'd be a great guest. He is Paul Coleman, writer of BAFTA award-winning Car Share and advisor to some of the biggest household brands. In this episode, I wanted to pick Paul's brain about the innovative stuff he does with businesses as well as finding out how he has found the winning formula for TV comedy. There are some great tips for speakers and business owners who want to make sure they keep relevant. Enjoy. Marketing guru, inventor, BAFTA award-winning writer and co-founder of The Humanized Group. Welcome to the show, Paul Coleman.
1: Hello, what a great introduction. I'm going to keep all of that. I love it
0: excellent right I mean you have got I, they do call it these days like a portfolio career I don't know if I don't quite sure what a portfolio career is but if it means you've done lots of different stuff then it probably applies to you That's but <laughs> I wondered if you could give me like a potted history of Paul Coleman and the different dimensions of your career and how you got there
1: so in terms of career, so when I left university I joined a media group um working in research and quickly thought I'm not sure this is as exciting as what the marketing team are doing. That looks much more creative and feels like the place that I should be. So very quickly shifted across to that side, even though they didn't want me at the start. And then followed a career working um, in marketing for lots of different media companies and then ended up um, using that creativity to work in the automotive sector, which was really alien to me because I basically choose a car on color. Um, So it's very strange for me to go into that space. But what we did within that was start a process of where I am now, really, by really looking at consumers and trying to understand what were their wants and their needs um, beyond petrol heads. So trying to look at Consumers that weren't in that space are working in that space and that led me into then the innovation space working for global innovation company What if which is where the inventor tag comes from and then that led me to working on oh god knows um, How many projects and how many different brands in so many different sectors so it opened up a brand new world to me where I could be Really creative really insightful within those spaces and kind of the sky was the limit And lots of the projects we did um, and so that led me to humanize really. So, stepping away from what if innovation, thinking that insight is a key part of that innovation process. Um, mm-hmm. And so, we do insight and innovation in, in that space. But then, in between all of that, as, as kind of you said, as portfolio world, or I like to call them kind of side projects. And I've read recently people call them side hustles, which sounds a bit sexier. So, I might <laughs> stick with that. Um, it's kind of always doing. Um, keeping my creativity kind of tuned up by doing writing um, to kind of get things away. Some things that weren't good, some things didn't get away and some things that did get away, but always using it as kind of a way to tap into that part of my brain to kind of, I suppose, to massage that muscle, I suppose, in some ways, which I've found useful for the day-to-day work. And I've also found the day-to-day work useful for the creativity writing work as well. So they kind of feel like they feed each other.
0: Wow okay there's, now there's a couple of things I want to dig into there I obviously want to dig into the writing but can we walk it back a bit so when you said the sky's the limit or the sky was the limit in that job what sort of things were you doing that you hadn't imagined that you'd be able to do?
1: So I was working for and I, I, I won't be able to unfortunately name any of the companies but I'll kind of give you hints on scuba. Yeah. So I was working for an international um, jewellery company and we've gone in there to understand the culture and try and do, do what they'd discovered at that time was that different departments, different groups within that business weren't speaking to each other. And they gave us a blank sheet of paper and said, look, come back and solve this. Work out how we can can communicate better um, amongst ourselves, but also how we can use that to recruit better people to come within the business. And so being given a blank sheet of paper by a business is, is just so powerful for you as an individual. You suddenly go, wow, I'm not being told, right, we need this answer. Can you prove that everybody loves us? <laughs> um, yeah. and letting you prove that people don't love them. So we, we could then go and speak to real people, um, real employees, and customers as well, and partners for, for their business, and really find out what was the problem, and present that back, what's and all. Go look. There's some things you're doing appallingly, and you need to solve this. And before you address this, we can't do the culture piece. But having that, as I say, that blank sheet of paper is. As, a, as an individual we given that it's, you're given so much power it's like you're at the the top of the tree in that business going help us
0: It's it's interesting isn't it but in, in my experience the leadership has to buy in first and it's almost like they need to get to the point where they they're willing to be open willing to listen you know before you've got any any hope in fact they give you that piece of paper you know is a real sign I guess that they're willing to sort of change did they have a burning platform in those businesses or was it just they want to get better
1: some of them do some of them do see that so it's either you know they're saying actually a competitor's come on come online and we're suddenly doing things much smarter and much more agile than we are but often it's really leaders who uh and actually we had a briefing this week and it's a leader who's very much looking at going there are people out there that I admire and I'd like people to be admiring us a little bit more. So at the moment, they haven't got a burning platform. They've just got somebody at the top whose ambition yeah. is where they are now. And if you've got that, you're right, in terms of if it's coming from the top down, that's really interesting. However, we have gone into organisations where somebody at a lower down department said, look, I think we need some values. We need some We need some uh, kind of culture piece here or we need to understand our audience a little bit more. And we then worked with them to sell that up to higher... Uh, people within the organization and we 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 do that a number of different ways one of the most effective ways is kind of stakeholder conversations with them so you're going in as a naive outsider and going look I'm I think this is a thing am I barking up the wrong tree and then they you can guide them and they can guide you as well through that conversation but it's, an, it's a harder conversation to have if you're working inside a business than it is for fresh eyes as an outsider to have that because I can say "Ooh, I thought this was a bit rubbish and I'm doing that as a consumer and they accept that whereas if you've been working on it for the last two years and going I think it's a bit rubbish you might get accused of going well, why haven't you sorted that in those two years so it's easier I think as an outsider to be more provocative in those conversations.
0: That's brilliant. And, and so tell me a bit more, how did, what does Human Eyes actually do and how did it come about?
1: So Human is an insight and innovation uh, company. We specialise really in the family markets and there's a reason for that. So I left What If, and I left What If not because I didn't enjoy myself there, but because I was starting some of the writing projects, were starting to take off. And I just thought, I can't keep turning around to my boss and going, do you mind if I have six weeks off while we film this? <laughs> Um, and so I just thought, well, I'd, but I also need to pay the mortgage and I also really enjoyed that work as well. So but one of the first things I did was reach out to my now partner in Humanise, Lynn Barker, who was then running um, the mum panel. Um, so she had a panel of mums across the UK and she was just getting such rich insights from those people so we had people doing um, in journey work to go tell us what it's like when you go to the supermarket actually film a bit of that take some pictures of that tell us what you hate about that experience tell us what you love about that experience chat to your friends within your circle and come back and report back and it was such rich data that it was one of the first conversations I had with with Linda going shall we do something together here because I think marrying insight and innovation is really key because if you do one in isolation so you've just got the insight and you understand the problem. Great, that's a good starting point. But then you plug that into innovation, where you say, "Well, let's find some creative solutions for that." That suddenly becomes—it feels like it should go together. And so yeah. most of our projects are kind of blur in, in a line between both of those. So it can start with a bit of innovation going like, "Let's understand this." But we often bring consumers along through that innovation journey, so they're helping us find the solutions, and we're obviously doing a bit of guiding within that, and we're taking that away and polishing what we've discovered but keeping the consumer as part of that process means that you're not coming up with going we've just reinvented water and we don't want the reinvention of water thank you very much we invent things that hopefully they go oh that makes sense and that's why that should be on the supermarket shelf or that should be a, a tv program whatever it may be
0: Excellent. And, and and so I was thinking about this the other day, I haven't heard the word and it might be since, since the sort of new labor has gone out the word focus group very much recently, but effectively what I think you've got as, you know, as part of Mums Panel and on your website, a 50,000 strong database of people who can give you that really rich data must be, must be brilliant to have and a, a massive asset for the business
1: it is a huge asset and we you know we we go back to that that base of those people and we we make sure they feel loved and feel you know welcome in that so we tell them about yes here's a here's a project we're working on um we need some data on this but we also go back and go this is this is the work you did um so this is kind of what's come out of that so it's really important they understand there's a feedback loop if you like mm. that. they're not just going oh it just has to be loads of questions but i never see what comes of that we go back and say and and sometimes we can't sometimes it's things that are not actually launched yet. and sometimes it's about a culture piece so we, we haven't got things before but when we do have we make sure we got here's some pictures and products you've got go and try them out they're launched now well done you guys you've you've changed something here um so that that's really key but having those when you talk about the focus group side of things and i kind of hate that word and i think you're right it's a bit that new label world and um focus groups are telling us that they don't like this and people get a bit shirty about that and I kind of understand that but also my kind of nervousness about focus groups is I think they're really artificial and don't get me wrong we when we're asked to we we run those but we try and run those in a way that feel a bit more relaxed so and this kind of feeds into creativity a little bit your environment is really key So putting people in a focus group room where they know that there's a mirror at the back of them that's got a lot of people behind who are talking about them isn't the best start to go, relax, tell us about the real things that are going on. So we try and when possible is to take them out of those situations. And we've done things in, goodness, we've done things in. Um, cafes that have closed in the evening. We've done things in community halls. We've done things in people's homes, and you just get a better response from people. They're just much more relaxed within within those environments. And that's the same for people working on the innovation side, the creativity side. You've got to find the right environment to feel like I'm, it's a it's an open environment. It's a secure environment. I don't feel like I'm going to be judged within this. I feel like I can say things. And if it's not the right thing, at least it might start a process.
0: Brilliant. And have you got any, Because I mean, the speaker, this is obviously um, a podcast, which is aimed primarily at speakers, but so many businesses and business owners and entrepreneurs are using speaking to grow their business these days. And for anyone out there that has like a, a product or something, is there any tips you've got for helping them navigate their products through that sort of real life journey of a consumer to make a sale?
1: Well, I, I think, the key things are, really, it's un- it starts with understanding, and I suppose understanding and empathy within that. There's too many things that we'll all see large, and it's just because you've sat at home one night, you've thought, why, doesn't, why, don't, why aren't there rain hoods for poodles? And you think, you've <laughs> <"It's good." laughs> had a few drinks, and then suddenly you've, you've registered a URL, you've sent off to China for some prototypes, and then nobody's buying these rain hoods for poodles. And really what, it's, what, we, what we say is spend some time with people, stand in their shoes a little bit, it's a great one, and I never know how to say it. Is it goo puds? The GU puds is it goo or GU? You know, the
0: puts? oh, oh, I know, goo. I always call it goo. I don't know if that's, I am being Philistine.
1: Let's, let's both be happy with that. If people can write in and complain if we've got it wrong. <laughs> right. um, and it, it, I remember hearing him talk about doing the prototypes for that. And what he did was he created the box and all the branding on that and had it weighted enough so it felt like if you were getting the, 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 the glass container within that. And he put it on his prototype on shelves in supermarkets and waited for somebody to pick it up. And then went rushing forward with his trolley and going, why did you pick that up? I want to understand why you've... And these these confused shoppers are going. I just wanted to buy a pudding, but then he because <laughs> it was in situ, in situ. Of what was it affected to them? Was it the price? Was it the language that was used on that? Was it the container? Was it the weight of that? What was interesting? Whereas if you just put that in a focus group and hand that around, you people are judging in a different way because they're mm. being asked to judge. So it's, it's suddenly if we, if, we, if we analyze Shakespeare and sit here because we're going to run a class on analyzing Shakespeare, it's different than the experience of going and watching that in the theater. And I think that's sometimes you get the focus group. So my advice to people, if they're trying to get things uh, that consumers love, is get into their world a little bit more. Go, be in their shoes and understand that process. And so many things that we get to push through and we test, we can see it straight away because we do it quite a lot going it's not going to work because of that or they're going to love that bit a bit um, and the guys who've developed it sometimes we done it by fluke have developed something that the consumer loves but other times it's just not the mistake is just because they've not thought through the process
0: yeah do you do you think an influencer can overcome some of those issues so I was I was saw while I was away in Edinburgh I was reading the Metro I think and they had Will Smith selling bottles of water in boots and his son had come up with this concept of clean water when he was out surfing. So that's Jaden Smith, I think. And I was thinking to myself, another brand of water, is it, do we really need it? But then I was thinking, well, it's his, his brand, his, his, his name on it. Is that going to make a difference in that sale?
1: Yeah, and no, maybe it doesn't. We've done research um, in the past on influencers to kind of uh, understand that world a little bit. And what really, what's really key in the influence world is health and beauty, massive. You kind of look towards the, the Kim Kardashians or the Will Smiths or whoever they may be in the world and go, I'd like their beauty regime, I'd like to look like them. I think when you then step into other fields, so you're not going to go to Kim Kardashian and go, which which new washing machine should I buy? Mind <laughs> Or can you find me a plumber that um, is reasonably priced and available next Wednesday? And I think so that, So it has its limitations. But I also think that influencer world is, is is a dangerous place for lots of brands to go into because you can't – control might be the wrong word, but I'm going to use it anyway. You can't control where those influence what they do and what they say next. So we've seen that in lots of YouTubers, and we've seen lots of brands that we work with have stepped away from – the endorsements have been doing on, in the YouTube space because the, that fear that they become the next pariah, they're the next um, trending topic on Twitter because, you know, they've been in, a, in the woods in Japan taking the mickey out of people who have committed suicide. Yeah. So I think there's a danger in that. And I think going back to the way we do it, it's kind of using real people, so working inside out and getting real people to be those influencers for you. That's really strong word of mouth marketing yeah. rather than, well, Will Smith, he's pushing this water and there's question marks Are going, well, how much is he making out of that? Whereas yeah. if you tell me there's a new water, I go, oh, like Sarah, she seems nice, she seems to know what she's talking about. I might give that water a go because I, I trust you a little bit more because you're closer to me than Will Smith. Imagine saying that in a podcast. You're closer to me than Will Smith, Sarah. So <laughs> oh, well,
0: I feel very lucky uh, to have that said about me. Although we did have a fellow that is on retainer from Will Smith on the show.
1: Oh well, there you go. You're close to Will Smith then, and to me. Probably,
0: I—I <laughs> I shouldn't imagine that's the case. <laughs> okay, cool. And then, do you think there's any crossover in the B to C world in terms of their journey? So, obviously, you're i i guess most of your clients are selling, you know, direct to the consumer. But in terms of corporates, is—is is it a similar journey, or is it completely different? Or do you not work in that space and don't don't know?
1: Yeah, I don't really know how to answer that question. I think it my gut would be, it would be a similar journey. Cause the, all we're talking about is, so it's the same journey in terms of, say you and I were working together on a project. I'd need to firstly understand well to, for agree for you and I to agree to that we need to understand each other and go well actually are we going to get on but I also need to understand what else is going on in your world as well so I can I've got empathy with you so if you've got 10 other projects on then I need to work around those 10 other projects if you're looking after a sick relative at the same time I need to work around that as well so we, we'd make that work so I think Whatever we're saying, whoever you're dealing with, whatever label you want to give them, it still comes down to that empathy and standing in their shoes and working out how to best get whatever you need out of somebody and how they can also get the best out of you. So that's working dynamics, whoever you are. So I think that's even just relationships and friends, a lot of things we do. And when we're teaching creative behaviours, a lot of people use those tools and techniques to go into their own lives and go, actually, we just worked out how we're going to solve that, um, what kitchen we're going to have fitted (laughs) using that. (laughs) It's the same thing, really. It's just another way in to something
0: yes people at the end of the day it's still people isn't it regardless of whether it's a corporate or whatever okay cool now what are your strengths and i and have you know i've seen lots of interviews with you i've re- you know read a lot about you researching for this and one of the strengths which seems to filter both into the work you do with humanize and with your writing and particularly i think in terms of the evolution of car share being able to read the market to work out what's going to be hot seems to be a particular strength is that something you've cultivated or you know just through experience or and developed or is it an instinctual thing that you have
1: a part-time mystic sarah I do part-time.
0: <laughs> you've got a crystal ball paul
1: i do um i think um i mean it's lovely you say that and i think some of that is yes it's it's kind of being able to um notice things and see patterns with things and there's also an element of getting lucky with some of those. But what we do within our humanized world is we're we're staying close to that panel, that huge panel of people which actually forces us because they are so disparate in terms of geographically, in terms of ages, in terms of social class, whatever, whatever band you want to put them in, it forces you to step outside your bubble and see people from different ways. But then you can see what unites them um, uh, as well as what what divides them. Both of those things are interesting. So we always talk about whatever we're doing and whatever we work, with um the team at human eyes and freelancers that we work with the first thing we look for is that they are curious they need to be really curious people to go i'm interested in hearing from different sides on this i'm hearing hearing from all sides of this i'm interested in coming at this from other angles and i think that gets you to new and interesting places but also gets you very much to see okay we're seeing a pattern within that so for example we in the humanized space and it's, it feels like an obvious thing to say no but plastics so we were talking about that four and a bit years ago going look you need to start looking at this this is this is big news so I remember having a conversation with a client about straws on the side of cartons and going this is coming and you could lead the market within this and we, were, we weren't laughed out of the room but was kind of pushed to one side of going it's not a big thing we don't need to deal with that it's just a small niche of people were saying this niche is getting bigger this this niche is coming to this it's going to create an issue for you and lo and behold now everybody and you know uh is around the globe is is banning or eliminating straws from the process but we were talking about that four plus years ago mm-hmm. and i think it's fascinating to go and there's some things we won't get right on that my next one is going i think palm oil is going to be the, going to get the traction we're hearing bubbles of palm oil being talked about in circles that aren't your vegans environmentalist circles it's being it's Going to taking on a new world, so I think clients are going to have to look at that in the next few years. Now, we could be wrong on that, but my gut is, and the patterns that we've seen in the past is that we're right on that.
0: Anyway, it's a nice segue from what you said about creativity and innovation. I saw a strong testimonial about how you helped a corporate team unlock their creativity. Is that the similar sort of work or different work that you do under the umbrella of human eyes? And in terms of top tips for people that are stuck, have you got any? <laughs>
1: try so yes it is kind of what we do and i i've loosely talked about the three eyes with with human eyes so the insight innovation the third eye being instruction when underneath right. that instruction side is that um creative behaviors we've also done insight training so kind of getting people um to look at again kind of look at things in different ways rather than be in their own little worlds within yeah. that space. So we step into a number of different organisations to say, look, we can either run these creative sessions for you or we can train people within that organisation that that can then go on to use these in lots of different ways for lots of different problems you have. Um, And we step into those. And what I like to do with those is not do kind of, this is the exercise we always use. I like to use live briefs. And partly it's selfish to go at least I'll be doing something different when I come into here. So I'm not just delivering the same thing as I always do. Let's find, let's find new ways to rebrand shampoo and thinking I've done this for 10 times this month. Yeah. It, it- But it also gets the team to go, oh, this is going to mean something. I'm going to use this for something as as we move forward. Um, And so we talk about a lot of top tips within that. So we talk about environment being really key of making sure you're in the right space for that. But also talk about team dynamics in that. And team dynamics being don't just go for the same old faces each time you do those in in, insight or innovation kind of sessions go for different types of people. So we often say to people, go and, go and find the people who work on reception in your organisation, see if they've got an hour and a half to spend within this because they'll come really fresh, they're really naive to something and they'll say things that the other guys who are a bit longer than a tooth won't dare to say and they'll get you into new spaces. But then it's also going, well, how do you set up those Meeting, so it's not just to go, okay, we're gonna have a brainstorm today on X There's somebody stood up the front with a whiteboard or a <laughs> flip chart writing things down Somebody writes them down. We finish the meeting. Somebody's then charged with typing them up and nobody reads them yeah. It's a pointless exercise. So what it's making sure you go, well, what's your exercises you're going to use that gets people Thinking about things a different way. What's the stimulus you're going to bring in that in that room? Don't expect people to just have everything in their brains Bring stimulus in, but don't just bring the stimulus. So say we were solving a problem for a beer brand. Don't just bring that beer brand into that. Think about where you're going to have it. The pub might be better for that. It's a beer brand. But also think about the other bits of stimulus that are part of that world. So what else gets you quickly into that environment of being that friday night beer drinker or that saturday afternoon drinker what else quickly gets you into that space and talk about stories use stories as part of that because it quickly gets people if you're doing something a holiday company go right tell me about your worst holiday experience your best holiday experience you might be people might be thinking we're spending half an hour on this we're not even getting to ideas <laughs> but no you're getting warmed up it's the same with the writing process it's exactly the same you can't just sit at a blank sheet of paper and go okay what are these characters going to be and what's the story going to be? You've spent time working on character, um, kind of forming those. You've spent time on scene by scene. And then you've got the foundations and you're ready to write. You can't go into an ideas session and have no foundations. So that would be my top tip. Do those foundations. Think about who's in the room. Think about what's, what's that room. Think about the stimulus in that room and think about the exercises you go into that and how you're going to capture those going out there because there'll be tons of great ideas. If nobody's capturing those in the right way, the next week you'll be going, Sarah, what was that idea you had? It was really good. Can you remember? You, I can't, I can't remember. I've slept since then. I can't remember what. It
0: <laughs> Brilliant. No, thank you for that. And again, a great segue. So let's talk about the, the writing. Have you, I know you said that it was a creative outlet for you, but do you, do have you done it since you were small is it always been something that you've had a passion to do or is it was it something that you just stumbled into as an outlet
1: always had a passion to do it um but only later in life I was brave enough to share some of those things with other people um so I was doing it in ways that I wasn't quite sure what I was doing and just enjoyed um putting things down so keeping a journal was a big part um in my early in my youth um and so sort of having that outlet to write was always key and then moved into actually could this be something that then other people might want to read and enjoy and then got into giving the odd line and the odd gag for various things and then got into script editing this kind of was a process and thought actually this looks quite interesting and i think i've got the skill set for this and then having a play with it so that's the process really it wasn't a, a big thing at school where i was thinking i will be a writer <laughs> Never yeah. thought of that I wouldn't be brave enough to do that. I don't think, but um, yeah, that's how it worked.
0: So, so let's let's talk briefly again about that journey. So, because obviously we we all know where you've ended up, but how you know? So you were doing the odd line for, for sitcoms, or were you? Yeah,
1: so for Phoenix Nights, um, so for Peter, I would um, talk to me about various things. Um, can I swear on this podcast?
0: Yes, I've got a great bleeper.
1: Oh, have you? Well, it won't work with the we'll do it anyway. So, um, basically, I was doing a, I was working at a radio station at the time. And um, when Peter said, we're we doing, we're doing this episode of Phoenix Nights, and they were doing an Anne Summers kind of night of Phoenix Nights. And um, I'd had to, bizarrely, the promotion we were doing, we needed to go and find some dog collars, study dog collars for a, an adult to wear. Um and so with a friend of mine, Maury and I, um we went to the pet shops in Manchester at the time that used to be on Tib Street, it used to be brilliant, it used to have loads of loads of um pet shops and sex shops, a very bizarre mix. I'm not quite sure who <laughs> the audience was. And um and we went in there, the woman just got carried away because we were from the local radio station, and she started showing us lots of things in this sex shop, not the pet shop. We, we we failed miserably in the pet shop, so we went directly to the sex shop. And she opened a drawer, and it was um, this vibrator. And she said, "Oh, it, it it plugs into your car lighter, which I thought was just, <laughs> who, who is using a vibrator in the car? How, how long would you need to be stuck in traffic to go? <laughs> and she said, it sucks and fits all car was a line she's or something a version of that and basically there's a line in in phoenix nights that comes from that real world that's that's stolen for from that person saying it but it's because Peter said to me what what can we do within this i said oh i've got the perfect thing for you this happened and we wrote that line on the back of that so it comes from me throwing things in from real life situations then and then as i said chipping away
0: Excellent, and so, so you, uh, for people that don't know, because there's a international audience. This is Peter Kay, who is a I don't know how to describe him. He started out as a comedian, but is now a, a, a no, a media mogul in some senses, I guess.
1: Yeah, so he, he does. He stand ups, kind of. He's I um, I don't know whether he's. He did have the largest or biggest stand up tour uh, ever in the world. Um, he's yeah, he's, he's gone into acting. Um, For lots of projects that I've worked on, although car share should never have been Peter, but anyway, we'll get to that in a minute.
0: Yes, yes, I want to. So, so I, so I read somewhere, so the the genesis of car share, because, you know, you obviously moved on and moved on and then, and then car share came along and, but you were looking for something. And when I mentioned about reading the market, you were looking for something that was kind of, I think, cheap to do, easy for a producer to say yes to. Is is that right? Do you want to sort of take it from there and, and sort of tell that story?
1: Yeah, so that was the process. So we, together with Peter and I, we'd written um, Pop Factor for Channel 4, which was uh, a Mickey take of those talent shows. Um, and that did really well for Channel 4. I think it was the um, best performing programme of the year. And I sat there and thought, oh, that's good. What am I go on the back of that? And I just sat for quite a while going, I have no idea what to do and I was working at the time that went out in the automotive sector, which is interesting, so maybe there's a germ there of culture. Oh, yeah. um, But then Roger and Val was on BBC Two, uh, with Alfred Molina and Dawn French, and that was a wonderful programme, but I looked at it and thought, it's just two people. They're sometimes in the kitchen, they occasionally go into the bedroom, this must be really cheap to film. Obviously not expecting Rod, um, Dawn French and Alfred Melina to have a big price tag on them. But anyway, thinking that would be cheap and then started to kind of look at lots of different scenarios where you could have two people in a situation um, which would be equally cheap and eventually stumbled upon the car share kind of thinking, well, that's an environment that already exists. You don't even have to build a set. Um, you put those two people in the car, you could film them Jeremy Clark style top gear, that'd be really easy, um, and obviously got that very wrong. <laughs> but that's naivety, it's all the things I talk about earlier, there's not, you know, you start with that idea coming with fresh eyes and naive, um, kind of from a naive angle on it.
0: But I think, you know, the ROI must have been quite good oh, on that. Yes. Uh,
1: Yes, potentially, yes. It did perform very well for BBC. But when we, I remember the first day arriving on set and um, seeing the cameras in that car and the rig for that car, I was just like, oh, my God, it looks like a space station. This is ridiculous. This is clearly not cheap. And the guys who fitted it, who did an amazing job talking me through what they'd done, how they'd um, tried lots of different ways and eventually got to that, um, you just thought, oh, my God, this is ridiculous. How are we got here. <laughs>
0: And I guess it feels like what you know, one of the big reasons Carl Share was successful is that people, you know, can relate to that situation in some way. You know, in the other work you do it, that's pretty much what it's about, isn't it? So does that do you think that's helped with your writing for the for the public for T V?
1: Yeah, I think it has, yeah, and, I, and we did certainly for for Karsha, less so in the pop-factor world, although people, we did talk about them, we, we did pop-factor talk about, oh, we think the same thing, we have the same frustration with those kinds of shows, but weren't rec- necessarily recognising themselves in that. But for Karsha, we got lots of people going, certainly friends of mine, saying, um, is Kaylee based on me? And so <laughs> they we're seeing themselves in that, and the real answer is going, you know, it's based on lots of people, really. Um, I mean, it's largely based on Charlie, who I'd worked with previously, but um, it's based on lots of people as part of that. But it, it when they're saying that to you and saying, I recognize myself in that, you say saying it, it means that it is real and really relatable, but also having that not only those as characters but that situation because we tapped into going there's a lot of people that commute in a car. So people recognise that relationship they have with the radio, the relationship they have with other drivers, etc., within, within that space. So that quickly... I suppose fast tracks you to go in I recognize this I'm going to get it so I suppose if we were writing a sitcom where it's a a very niche thing where it's I'm trying to think hand gliders we might (laughs) go people would go oh that's me I recognize I've I've been a hand glider for years it's a very niche group there are lots of people obviously um, driving to and from work but also on top of that the next layer is going the things that they talk about and not necessarily the drivers of the story or the the set pieces in the story but just some of those conversations and some of the language that they use it's a bit you know stealing from the world of Victoria Wood dare I say that and and I'm not trying to compare myself to Victoria Wood but just saying that somebody who does it extremely well well uses those the right words in the right way to go you quickly into into a world so when she talks about a custard cream
0: yeah
1: you Know why you know why she's doing that and where she's transporting you to, so we try and do that in various ways. Whether we're talking about Virgin V and having those Virgin V parts, it's straight away transporting a certain group of people who might not have been to one but have heard somebody who's, who's had one, and you kind of know who that person is within that, I suppose.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I remember that bit, uh, that bit of car share. Like, I've been to a Virgin V, my sister was a Virgin V a uh, party person actually so i was right back in there cool and then um i can't really have you on without asking you this and you may not want to answer but there were only two series and there was a big flurry at the end of the second series that it was left without some people felt it being resolved in terms of those two yeah, yeah. and they
1: started a petition on that and we we kind of planned that we were going to come back but we just we wanted to keep people guessing on that a little bit um, and we didn't want the ending. To be contrived and kind of obvious in that space, so we wanted to hopefully surprise and delight people. Um, we didn't in, for some people, we did for others, and it was really interesting because some people liked the false ending ending. If I can call yeah. it that, and some people preferred the end, the real ending ending. So um, you can't win them all, can you? Say? <laughs>
0: no, you
1: um, can't. Yes. Um I think we just thought when we finally came to the end of that was that I remember having the conversation with Peter and Sean and saying that what we don't want to be doing is series four or five of this and thinking what else can happen? Yeah. yeah. Oh. Um, and lose the love that we, you know, we had for the show from people, which was amazing and, and unexpected, but we didn't want to lose that and go with, it's just lost. It's, it, it it's traction now because it's gone a bit far fetched, and and believe me, we went far fetched in lots of places We had a monkey on a roof at one point, um, but we felt we could do that that one time rather than go, you know, a, another monkey on the roof or a monkey in the boot or whatever we're doing.
0: Brilliant. And 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 you and I, um, we met on a comedy panel talking about comedy. Is that where your writing normally steers, or is there like a serious script dying to get out from within you?
1: There's, there's lots of serious scripts, just, um, yes. The, I mean, I, I suppose I'm, with the comedy, it's mixing both the drama and the comedy, but I'm always kind of, if I'm really honest, I'm always going, where's the gag, where's the funny here? Because I think even in the most serious of scripts, you could still want some light relief within within those anyway. Um, but yes, I'd love to do a, a drama piece, very much would.
0: Yeah, oh, interesting. So watch this space on that one. And then back back to like talking about drama and and, and stories as well. How important do you think creating conflict is and the resulting emotion in, in in that story to make it compelling for people? And I guess, you know, stories are something that I talk about a lot and, and they're becoming more important in marketing as well as in um, TV and films and theater and so on. That conflict in there has got to be present, I think. What's your view?
1: Oh, very much so. And it goes back to kind of the early conversation we're having today. It's kind of it, that conflict in some ways is understanding there's a problem and then trying to find a solution in that I think is, is, is really key. And you look at traditional... Certainly the sitcom script um, used to be you'd go around a circle and you'd start and you'd go, well, this is where this person starts and they need to end in the same place, but lots of conflict and jeopardy needs to happen in the middle of that. I think the modern world of sitcom, for some sitcoms, the majority of sitcoms, allows that to be, slightly unresolved as we go through a series, but you want that to be resolved as we get to the end of the series. So if you look at something like um, uh, Gavin and Stacey, which was another BBC comedy, that was allowing... You didn't have to see Gavin and Stacey make up at the end of each episode. They could make up at the end of the next episode or the next episode beyond that. They could keep that going. And that, I think, changed that. And in a lot of the American um, sitcoms allow that to, to be different as well. So cheers was probably more the traditional model of going here's the feedback loop and we're going to go back to um, the start Carla's gone through this uh, uh, emotional journey but she's still going to be Carla at the end of that whereas then if you shift into things like Will and Grace for example Will and Grace will allow things to run longer whether it's with the story with Jack or with Karen or any of them will allow that to run through uh, the whole series or multiple series within that and I think that's what, be, in some ways, it's a bit soap opera um, style for comedy, allowing that conflict to be bigger than just um, Terry and June trying to um, get Terry's trousers up before the vicar arrives.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Yeah, I mean, the sillier ones tend to go back to, to rewind to the beginning and there's no sort of character growth, really. Just yeah. it's all in, in one episode. Yeah, they're, they're less satisfying, I think, in some ways. And Paul, do you do any speaking? I mean, obviously we met on a panel, but do you, do you speak uh, at conferences and stuff like that?
1: I have done for certain clients that we've, that we've worked with, that are kind of going, can you come in and talk about a bit of creativity? Um, because obviously those, I've got legs in two camps and they, they often find that very interesting. But when I tend to do that, I'm not really keynote speaker and going, go in, give me 45 minutes, I'll do this. I'm, I'm more of going Let's get you involved in that. I remember doing one for uh, the Radio Academy, which was just me speaking. I said, "Is there no chance I can get the people involved? So I think i will take more from this." And it was it was very much about going, Penn and Teller are coming after you. We can't mess this up." <laughs> so I had to make, um, just doing um, my keynote uh, speech for them, uh, but with lots littered with lots of examples. And I think the real key with those is to is to refresh those speeches lots of people i see because we work with lots of clients who use a lot of the same people we'll end up on conferences and we might be doing the facilitation of the creative sessions later in the day and we see a lot of these people who feel like they are doing the same presentation they have done god knows how many times that month let alone that year and you can just tell they've done that so i think if we get asked to do stuff we we always write it from scratch because it feels like i need to enjoy this as much as the audience does and i know that's creating a lot more work for you but it just needs to come alive you need to feel particularly when you talk about creativity there needs to be some passion within that i think
0: so do you think i mean i just we just uh, the episode just gone out uh was about reframing your talk so getting that creativity is that is that the thing that you think separates an average speaker from a great one making sure that it's fresh or is there some other things that you've seen that you that you think make that
1: difference yeah I think I think that's part of it very much keeping it fresh but I also when I see really good speakers I feel like I've seen a bit of the real them I think yeah. when people um come on and think this is the way I'm supposed to do it this is where you do it if it was a TED talk and they're being not they're being a version that isn't the version of themselves that they are every day I, I like to see the real them and I also like to see weaknesses of people i'm not i'm not meaning you know that the it doesn't work and the AV doesn't work for them i'm not meaning that sense it's just kind of saying i like to see that they're not they're, they're more than this one dimension of i'm a i'm a keynote speaker i've got other things to offer i've got other interesting insights in my life that got me to this space because so i think you learn a bit more once you go oh they're a bit like me actually there's nothing really they're not Superman or Superwoman here. It's just They're a bit like me, but they've just got really interesting stories to tell. I'm going to take something really interesting away from that. I think when they feel like they're really far removed from you and a special kind of person, I think a lot of people go, well, what's the point of listening to this? I'm not that person. I'm not Elon Musk. What am I going to learn from this fella? It's not interesting. So I think if you can show that you're more like them and you have the weaknesses just like they do, I think then you, people lean forward a little bit more.
0: That's brilliant. Thank you for that. Well, th- thank you so much for all the stuff you shared. I've got a few standard questions, if, if just to finish on, if that's all right. Yeah, fine, yeah. Uh, what is the one book you've read that's had most impact on your life, and why?
1: Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna choose one that I've just read, if that's okay. Of course, your your choice. I've just read The New Power, and I'm trying to remember who the. It's two authors for it. Um, and it's a really interesting book about saying how the dynamics have shifted. Where it used to be media moguls used to have that massive platform and they could just um, spout whatever they wanted with that, and the establishment's kind of controlled it. And I think that's still largely the case. But what's happening is this dynamic and this shift that's happening where you and i and other people like us are actually finding a voice and being able to not only manipulate politics so i mean in, in some good and bad ways and we won't get into what sides those are but also in terms of products as well so you can have voices louder voices with with um, organizations to be able to change things so it kind of it fits into the world and the reason i'm saying it's i'm it's a recent book and I'm choosing that it's because I've been banging on about it humanised since I read it and boring people to death with it and I keep drawing this this diagram of this triangle and going this is where we sit this is the consumer this is this and think this is how it needs to change um, and I think it's riding on the back of that because I think consumers are in a, in a position now where they feel like they've got more power than they've ever had because they can criticise a TV programme they can criticise an individual they can criticise a product far faster than they ever would I mean in, I don't think my mum would have ever sent in the 80s a letter to uh, an organisation going, we don't really like your Kit Kats, um, can you change them? Whereas you can do that on Twitter. We could just yeah. go and do it, no, if we don't like Kit Kats. New Kit Kat comes out, we can tell them, and we tell them in our thousands that we don't like them. It's wrong to pick on Kit Kat. they've not done anything wrong. It was just an example. Right. <laughs> Mum loves Kit Kats, I love Kit Kats. Uh, but you, you have a point. We can, we, our yeah. power is very different than it was before. Our our engagement um, is very different. And I think media organisations, whether that be producers of TV programmes such as sitcoms or organisations such as Kit Kat or political parties need to look at that in a different way because it's shifted and it ain't going back to the, the old model.
0: That's really interesting. So New Power, that book's called, is it? Oh,
1: yes. I, I loved it. I couldn't put it down. I really enjoyed it.
0: Excellent, and I mean it's it's interesting as well. The TV's changed, doesn't it? It is in terms of the the power of the, you know, the everyday person in terms of influencing brands. Everyday people are on TV more than ever before now, and we seem fascinated by people who are just like us. And it's it's always interested in me that you know. So that's that dimension's spilling over all over the place. Really, I think
1: it is. Yes, I think there's a danger that. When it's, um, what do they used to call it? They used to call um, reality and drama together. They used to have a dreadful word that they made. But I think when they do these um, programs were like a Geordie Shore kind of world where they're forcing that reality. You're not really seeing a real version of, of people. I, I get that it's entertaining, I understand that.
0: The scripted called, stuff, you mean, yeah, where scripted, it's, yeah. The
1: reality, there was some dreadful word they had for it, but I can't remember it because um, I didn't like it. I've just erased it from my memory. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think when you start seeing real, real people on TV, so if you look at something like Off, it's real people, but they don't manipulate them. They allow them to be who they are. And I think that's part of its success as a program. And I think I'd love TV to go back to documentaries that that allowed that in certain ways. I think now a lot of documentaries come with an agenda and you see things are going, we're going to now talk about benefits Britain and we're going to show these people and we're going to prove this point that we already start off with a hypothesis at the start. Whereas I think, Documentaries that I watched growing up were more about going, we're just going to look into this world and we're not sure what we're going to find, but we'll certainly find some rich and interesting people. The best one I've ever watched is, and I, I, this is another thing I bang on about, is Three Salons at the Seaside. You can watch it on YouTube. And it's about three hairdressing salons in Blackpool. And it's about their day. So it includes all of the customers, it includes the staff that work in these, in these different salons, and it includes the fish man that comes on a Thursday. <laughs> But it's a really rich, and they're not trying to belittle these people. They're not trying to prove a point with these people. We're just getting a window into their world. And I'd love those to come back.
0: Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you. I think the scripted stuff's a bit, it's just fake, is it? It feels fake in a lot of well, ways. Yeah. Cool. Um, right. And what's the best piece of business advice you've ever had and why? Best
1: piece of business advice. Goodness. Um, I remember once being told by. Um, An ex-manager of mine and it was when I was just um, gonna take a year off and go traveling and the the advice she gave me we were leaving lunch for me and she said you'll be fine good people always find work and I think it makes you be much braver in making decisions because if you've got a reputation if you're you know you've got a good network of people you can then particularly in the freelance world it's having that bravery to go well I'll be fine because I'll always find something and I think Mm -hmm. a lot of people that go freelance I know I run a business but I still kind of class it's freelance is that you've got to be throw yourself out there and hold your nerve a little bit that yeah, your first month might be really bad, but your month two or month three is going to be great because you'll always eventually get those things that'll come through. And I think that's the same for writing as well. I think good writers will always find things. Far too many writers complain about, oh, they're not, they're not commissioning scripts of this voice and that voice. They will do if, it's, if the script's right.
0: Thank you. And then the last one, if you could have one mentor, live or dead, fictional or non-fictional, who would you choose and why?
1: Jack Rosenthal.
0: Oh, okay
1: the writer for people who don't know him so um, wrote lots of fantastic plays but was a, a northern boy uh, a, a just glorious in terms of language I'm, I'm choosing something very british so if i was choosing american i'd just choose neil simon but i'm going to choose jack Rosenthal because that was my first gut cancer
0: excellent and so some of the things that he's written um just so we can put them in there
1: so he wrote bizarrely he wrote yentl with barbara streisand did he blimey And if you read his book, his book is fascinating. So his book is written like a script, Mm -hmm. Uh, and the the accounts he has with Barbara Streisand uh, are just amazing. Uh, But he wrote lots of things. He wrote um, Village Hall for BBC. So there's lots of things you can get of his that were BBC when they used to invest in these one-offs, little half hours. uh, For him, but he also went on. He started on Coronation Street. Um, he ended up writing London's Burning. So he's, he's a really fascinating character, but fascinating for the voices that he put within his work were the real voices of, of people. There was um, the one about the woman who run the bingo as well. Um, I can't remember the titles of it, that's dreadful. Uh, but just, just, I mean, they're of an age. So yeah. Yeah. An age. They're kind of that when you watch those old clips of Coronation Street, which is brilliant writing and brilliant characters. A lot of that is in his early work. Um, so he's a fascinating writer.
0: Brilliant. Thank you for that. That's smashing. Now, Paul, if people want to work with uh, Humanize, where's the best place to go for them to find out more?
1: So they can come and find us at humanizehq.com. Uh, for some reason, we couldn't buy humanize.com. I can't remember who had it. So we, had a, we added the HQ on the end. So come and find us through there, and all our contact details are there.
0: Brilliant. And if people want to connect with you personally, are you on Twitter, Facebook, yes, um, or Instagram?
1: So P Cole, Cole Manchester. Um, is my Twitter. So it's kind of a play on P Coleman and then added Chester on the end for Manchester. That's what I was thinking at the time when I first <laughs> jumped. I would put it differently, but it's done now. So yeah, you can find me on there, but also Humanizer on, on, on Twitter as well, as like Humanised Tweets. Brilliant. And I'll put
0: all of those links in the show notes. Well, all that's left for me to say is thank you so much for sharing some great stuff. It's been fascinating. I could talk to you forever on the writing side as well. But yeah, thank you, Paul. You've been a real star. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Tara.
0: I love how down-to-earth Paul was and his great sense of humour shines through everything he talks about. Well, I hope you enjoyed the show and picked up some valuable insight that you can translate into your speaking or business to help them grow. And if you haven't seen Car Share, check it out. There's links to all the books and shows Paul mentioned and just a heads up that I make a small affiliate commission if you use my link so you'll be helping the show out but it won't affect the price you pay. Oh, thank you so much for listening as ever. Let me know what you think of the show and thanks to you if you've already reached out or left a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. Some more great guests and content coming up. So don't forget to subscribe. Have a wonderful rest of the week. You're awesome. So go out there, grab your life by the nuts and get cracking. If you want to discover how to create a killer pitch that makes you or your business stand out from the crowd, then you'll want to grab your copy of my book straight to the top. It will help you clarify your USP, your business story, who your target market is and what will make them buy. You'll discover how to get the edge on the competition and position your offer for success. You'll also get proven elevator and investor pitch frameworks to use for maximum impact To get the book for free plus lots of extra bonuses, you just pay shipping and handling,
1: go to standoutpitch.com today.